Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? week we talked about sacred activism and the way of a peaceful warrior. As I continue to work with that phrase and that call in my life, I started to think of a dear friend of mine who has spent her life as a warrior for love and justice. I asked this friend of mine if she would join me in a conversation this week as we take a deeper look at what this means to be a warrior for justice. Ellen Diona is a spiritual guide and a licensed psychotherapist. She's made an in-depth study of the divine feminine and Celtic spirituality, including Celtic shamanism. She's also studied Native American spirituality and spent several years apprentice to a Brazilian Amazonian shaman, Bernardo Pejoto. Ellen's also a body worker and energy healer. She served on the faculty of the Rowe Center for Spiritual Guidance in Massachusetts for five years. She's an artist and uses mandalas and intuitive drawing exercises and collage in her work. Ellen's been studying and leading workshops in the field of psychology and spiritual development for more than 40 years. She's also written a book called The Spiritual Sampler, Illuminating Inner Wisdom, which you can find anywhere books are sold. As a spiritual director and guide, Ellen was also ordained in the Church of Spiritual Science. And most exciting to me, is that Ellen also leads retreats abroad to Ireland um, and other sacred sites throughout Europe. I'll be joining her on her retreat to Ireland this June, and I couldn't be more excited. This week, I am joined with one of my dearest friends and a co-conspirer in Living a Magical Life, Ellen Diona. And Ellen and I are going to talk just a little bit about sacred activism and being a spiritual warrior and what that means in the world today. Ellen, you have spent so much of your life dedicated to forwarding um, social justice in a lot of different forms, but especially racial justice. And this week we're celebrating Martin Luther King's legacy and his continued vision in the world. What is it like for you now, after so much time has passed, to see where we are, how how far we've come or how far we haven't come? Yes, that's a mix. Um, 
first, let me give a little bit of a history of how long I've been active and what I've done, and then talk about what it feels like from this perspective in 2022. Um, I started activism in, um, in the civil rights, fledgling civil rights movement in the late 50s. Um, my parents were um, uh, activists and um, held the, the model of being um, uh, aware of and active for um, justice for African-American people particularly. Um, we lived in Virginia, uh, Northern Virginia, but still it was a segregated state. Um, and so we didn't go to school with African-American kids. We didn't, um, I can remember when I was about 11 or 12, uh, stopping with my dad at the gas station and um, there was a gas, there was a water fountain inside that was a stainless steel water fountain. And then around the corner at the back, uh, toward the back of the, of the side of the gas station was uh, an old chipped stained uh, porcelain water fountain that was marked colored. And I can remember being outraged that I could go into the white one and so I went around to the side and drank out of the colored one in my act of defiance. Um, and then when I was in high school, um, the schools integrated and my parents had made sure that we had in our um, association African-American uh, kids too. So I knew uh, in our school of 1800 students four African-American students came in in my junior year. And I, um, I was friends. I knew, I knew two of them particularly well. Um, and that created a situation in high school in which I became a pariah because I associated with them. I ate lunch with them. Um, so that was my junior year in high school. In my senior year in high school, I joined the organization called Congress on Racial Equality which trained people to uh, take part in sit-ins. And of course, our lunch counters were not segre were segregated. Uh, African-American, my friends could not go into the local drugstore and sit at the soda fountain counter and uh, order anything. Um, so I started the training for that and was um, deemed not predictably nonviolent <laughs> when we were in a circle of training sitting on the floor, those of us who were being trained by uh, by people around us who sort of nudged us and called us racist names and um, uh, spat on us. And then um, one, one person started to touch my hair and I reacted and flinched and turned and they said, you're out, we can't, you know. So that didn't go so well for me to become active in that way. I marched with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, on, um, in 1963 on August 28th for his March on Washington. Uh, and, I, and I did a lot of other activism. I um, took the role in, in um, trying to break down the racial barriers in housing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so if a house or apartment was up for rent, I uh, sometimes went with a white person that was acting as my mate and they would say, yes, we can rent it to you. I would go back with an African-American person and it would be unavailable. <clears throat> so um, that way we were able to uh, determine whether people were, because there were new laws now, whether they were breaking the law. So um, in those ways, I have stayed active. 2022, I can't believe we are having a discussion about voting rights. And I cannot believe that there are people who consistently in the Senate and House of Representatives have voted for uh, voting rights, recognizing that's simply the American way, um, and now are opposed to them all of a sudden. Um, so it's really distressing. Mm -hmm. Have we made strides? Absolutely. Um, things are not as bad, you know, I mean, um, that's the reality. But anyway, so it's real important to stay active and to keep this forefront. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the where you were, what, how it impacted you when you heard of Dr. King's assassination? Oh, my gosh. Yes, absolutely. I remember. Actually, I was a delegate for Robert Kennedy um, in my, I lived in Maine at the time, and um, I was a Robert Kennedy delegate that was an alternative to the Democratic Convention from Maine. I served on the Maine State Democratic Committee. And um, it was April 4th, 1968, and um, I, it was unbelievable, and I had a four-year-old child and a and a two-and-a-half-year-old child, and uh, my four-year-old four son was really concerned about my being in front of the TV and weeping and weeping, and uh, he remembers that. He's now in his late 50s and remembers my, you know, my reaction, um, and then... And then equally devastating was Robert Kennedy's assassination two months later, almost, you know, almost to the day, um, because I thought he would change the country. Mm. Um, I think I think that was a seminal point in our history that we did not have him as president, um, and I'm and I have no doubt he would have won the presidency. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so. It was a, it, that was a horrible spring. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 How do you hold together the deep mystical nature of your spirituality and your um, awareness of sort of the, the inherent perfection, even mm -hmm. in all of the, all of the imperfection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How, how do you walk with both? one in each hand, sort of? Very good question. Um, I'm hugely inspired by um, St. Francis, who, of course, was a mystic. And um, he, he did not know at one point whether to devote himself contemplatively or whether to act. Mm -hmm. And his dear friend and um, 
uh, inspiration um, who founded the Poor Claire's uh, convent. Um, so Claire um, said, you must act. Mm -hmm. And he did and, and was bent on reforming um, the Catholic Church that had become wealthy and corrupt. And um, so he inspires me that one can walk the mystic path, live that life where every moment is informed by an awareness of our oneness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we aren't different. And um, I mean, we're different in, in, in personality and so forth, but we're not essentially different from so many other species, actually, mm -hmm. um, and certainly not just because we're different religions or different races or different cultures. Um, so holding that mystical oneness then not only informs the activism, but it, 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 it makes it imperative. Mm -hmm. um, as, as long as any person is enslaved, we're all enslaved. As long as any woman doesn't have rights and is abused, we're all abused. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's how I hold that. Yeah, it feels in my life and in my body like this fiery desire for justice. You know, maybe I wouldn't have been fit for nonviolence either. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, too much fire. Yeah. Too much fire. Yeah. Yeah. And so, how do we? How do we use that alchemical fire, use that alchemically for transformation, not to perpetuate the violence? Yes. And that, um, that can be hard, I think. Tremendously. Mm -hmm. And by the, by the time he was killed, Martin Luther King was under huge pressure to give up the nonviolence. There were um, more firebrand sorts of leaders. Um, Stokely Carmichael was one young, young leaders who weren't sure nonviolence was the was the way to achieve change and and Martin Luther King said he would remain nonviolent to his dying day and he did mm -hmm. um, but yeah there is that place for for the fire mm -hmm. but he didn't lack fire oh no um, <laughs> in fact you know it's it's like the white heat burns the hottest mm -hmm. and um he had that he had that white hot heat mm -hmm. um was his fire and i think sometimes those of us who maybe are are less able to have that commitment to nonviolence have more of the orange and, <laughs> and red flame if that yeah. makes sense the consuming fire <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and and you know that's one has to watch out for that mm -hmm. um, because um, in a shamanic sense that can be damaging not only to an individual but who has the fire but who mm -hmm. as you say consuming but you you know you can scorch a lot oh yeah yes yeah, scorched earth <laughs> yes I think that's a conversation that continues happening even in the upcoming generations of activists is do we stay nonviolent or is it just time to burn it all down? You know, and I feel like in my child, in, in my 16 year old and her generation, 
um, and the emergence of this idea of cancel culture, that there is sort of a um, more of a consuming fire, maybe born out of the urgency that they feel. Yeah. That, I think of Greta Thunberg, yes. you know, who um, who's inspiring the world and mm-hmm. certainly her age group. And I don't know, maybe her flame is blue hot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she takes on, it, it doesn't matter to her how much power mm-hmm. in a political sense or how much her elders um, demand respect from her. I think her respect is that she's willing to stand in their face and tell the truth. Mm-hmm. So these truth tellers are, are spiritual warriors, you mm-hmm. know, are, and, and we need that fire. Mm-hmm. And as someone who has both marched with Dr. King and done your part in your school and continue to write editorials and, you know, stay active. You've marched on Washington just a few years ago, last year, maybe even. Um, for voting rights, we did just this last, I don't know, was it October, September, I guess it was. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been incredibly active in your activism mm-hmm. and your social justice work. And you've been devoted to a shamanic way of life mm-hmm. as well. And so um, if you would imagine sort of the energies beyond this world, or as Dr. Estes calls it, the Rio Abajo Rio, you know, mm-hmm. the river under mm-hmm. the river, mm-hmm. what do you envision those energies, um, be, how are they being active in this work towards justice? Do you sense that there are beings that are leaning toward us and helping us to be forged in that white hot fire <laughs> as instruments of justice? Um, what do you see in, through that lens? Yeah, I think acting in oneness with them too. I, uh, m- because I have a shamanic world of you, um, and everything is connected. The you know the hawk and the oak tree are not uninvolved. Mm-hmm. They are not unaware and unobservant. Um, and there are stories all over the world, particularly about bears, uh, that are come bears who are coming into villages or um, putting themselves in a possibility of communication with humans. And um, the shamans of the world are saying that these are the message bearers didn't mean to make a pun, <laughs> of the um, animal kingdom to um, to the humans to pay attention and to stop the destruction of the planet. Mm. Um, so yes, I, I, the energies of, of the standing tall people, the trees or the, the wingeds or the four-leggeds are real important in terms of a collective uh, manifestation of the change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've heard so many people talk about how we are famished as a as a species um, for meaning. We're just starved for meaning and starved for story, and starved for a narrative that would inspire the best in us. Can you? Um, 
see a, a sort of a, another narrative being born out of these times that could unite people rather than us staying in these places of division and attack? I think I think part of what that hunger is that you're talking about and for meaning and um, I think part of the tragedy of where we are now is because there's been a wrong placement of that yearning and that hunger in a cult of celebrity. Mm-hmm. I think we have um, deified celebrities. I think this is why uh, Trump has succeeded is because people have latched onto him as a celebrity mm-hmm. um, on whom they've projected a lot of their needs and and um, their vision for however they want to uh, make change or keep things the same, make America great again, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that misplaced energy, I think, I think I see it across the spectrum. I don't think there's a particular political or socioeconomic um, uh, place that, in a singular place that's held. I think it's across those, um, those boundaries. And I think if we could shift it so that it wasn't a cult of celebrity, it was a cult, it became not a cult, but a um, support of people who uh, weren't celebrities necessarily but we're telling the truth and who were giving us ways of making change, um, who were, who are historians, who are uh, scientists, who are, um, who are children like Greta Thunberg. Um, I, I think, I think the yearning for that meaning can be found in more uh, substantive people of more substance than, than celebrities who mm-hmm. have flash and, and some of whom are dedicated. Um, but, but we can find more reliable, more solid, and including, and including figures like the Dalai Lama or Bishop Tutu, who so recently passed, um, who have, again, both that, um, that energy of holding a, uh, a mystical center as well as being active mm-hmm. yeah so taking the energy away from the this cult of charisma mm-hmm. or you know um, the flash as you call it and rather finding the the truer story the more substantive story that comes out of um, a real appraisal of where we are um, so much of of the the cult of celebrity, to me, seems like there's this um, skewing or aggrandizing or suppressing of information to feed an agenda. I think that's something that so many of us are railing against right now and has gotten us into some trouble is this pushback against the idea of agendas um, to the point that truth actually has become incredibly difficult to find for, for some people or they feel it's very difficult to find. Um, I recently listened to the astrological forecast for 2022 that Pat Dumas, one of our local astrologers, puts out. And one of her warnings for us in this year where Neptune is um, really casting its energies upon collective humanity is that if we are working really hard 
to fit our truth into a larger version of truth, it's probably not truth. If we're having to spend hours and hours um, finding stories and voices to corroborate what we believe is real, it is probably not real. That there, that our um, desire to hold a truth apart from the collective has actually made us more susceptible to this sort of cult, um, the slippery slope of the cult mentality, and that this is an, an energetic imprint of Neptune that we have to be careful of this year specifically. Mm. But it really seems like it's been going on a long time that people have been um, finding little pockets or uh, uh, t- tribes almost of pseudo truths to develop an identity around. Have you seen that as well? Do you? What do you think about that? Or... I, I, yes, I, I think that's a, I think that's happening, and um, I, I think back to. Uh, Hitler's Mm -hmm. propaganda minister, whose name I can't remember for sure, Goebbels, I think, think uh, who said, if you tell a lie often enough and loudly enough, it becomes the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't become the truth. It becomes some version of what people want people to believe is the truth. It's like the 1880, the 1984, it's the speak. It's the, um, and I think that I think people are confused, um, rightfully so, mm-hmm. when we see the um, duplicity in in speeches of from from what was spoken ten years ago mm-hmm. by somebody, and they've completely turned into uh, an opposite point of view, mm-hmm. and both they you know, at the time, they held as true. So I think there's a huge, huge confusion. But truth, uh, truth is truth, Mm -hmm. you know. It's not opinion, and it's not arguable when there there are things that are truths. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's no wonder that, that people get confused and that people project what their desires to hear and for them... Uh, to to follow what they think is a truth, to find people and resources that will give them that. Mm-hmm. As both an activist, well, not both, but more than both, <laughs> an activist, a, a, someone who practices a mystical lifestyle, and a psychotherapist, mm-hmm. what sorts of um, advice would you give people who are seeking truth? Where can you find truth in the world today? What is true? You know... Find people of integrity. Mm-hmm. Find people who's, who's, who walk their talk, whose lives and whose um, work in their lives uh, have, have that integrity and, and can be held up uh, to standards of corroboration. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can find out if this is true because it's corroborated by facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and facts are facts. You know, we've been told, oh, well, there are alternative facts. Well, they're not alternative facts. Mm-hmm. Um, there are alternative beliefs, mm-hmm. but beliefs aren't facts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think making sure that whoever, whomever you follow or whomever you seek 
to hold up as somebody uh, whose word you value, check their integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are they walking their talk? Are they walking their talk? Are their actions in the world a reflection of the kind of world you want to see and the kind of world they say that they're bringing into yes. into being? <laughs> yes. Mm. Anything else you want to share with our listeners today? One more thing thing about truth. I think it's imperative that people Mm -hmm. know where in their bodies they have the resonant cellular way of knowing truth. Where in your body does that resonance with truth reside? So you know, where do you feel it when you know something is absolutely, infallibly true? And if you have that and you're aware of it and you pay attention, you won't be able to be lied to and you won't be able to follow a liar. Mm -hmm. And that's an impeccable part of your intuitive awareness of self uh, that can be developed and nourished. Don't give up hope. You are much more powerful than you believe yourself to be. And there is power in numbers. It really matters if you put your feet to the pavement with thousands and thousands of other people that stopped the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Um, It matters that you pay attention. It matters that you gather into your spirit beauty and a sense of innocence in the best sense so that you're open-hearted and Mm open-minded. And it matters that you find people of integrity with whom you can share your walk. Mm -hmm. Mm, Thank you. I can feel the importance of all of that. If people are looking to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, The best way is probably by my email which is ellendiona at comcast.net. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes along with your website. Um, And they can find your books there. um, I have my website, which is uh, chalicespring.net. And then um, I'm a founder of the Susquehanna Mystery School, and that's at susquehannamysteryschool.org. Thank you for sharing your experience and your heart with us today. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for joining me for the Plant Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Schrader. I'm an herbalist, a mother, a holistic nurse, and a practitioner of the ancient ways. You can connect with me between episodes at therebelherbalist.com or on Instagram and Facebook, The Rebel Herbalist. Thank you for joining me.